I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to limp to the finish, fighting to lock in a fifth straight week of gains. But futures pointing to pressure ahead of the open. The Fed signaling a united front on fighting inflation. But comments from two bank chiefs suggest lingering divisions over how fast and high to raise rates. The roller coaster week for Bed Bath & Beyond rolls on. Stock tanking in the pre-market as Ryan Cohen abandoned his stake in the retailer. The pain at the gas pump getting a little less painful. But could rebounding demand mean prices are set to rise again? And your exclusive weekly look at the biggest insider buys by C-suite execs, including common thread among three of the companies topping our list. It is Friday, August 19th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Friday morning or good Friday evening, depending on where you are. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. And right now, they're not looking so hot. Stock futures, they are down across the board. The Dow off about one half of 1%. Now, overall, and I should probably be quiet about this, it has been a quieter week for stocks overall, but... That could change today because, as we told you yesterday, it is the monthly options expiration today. And the notional value of those options could be as much as $2 trillion. And that, of course, could increase volatility. It may not, but it could, particularly on the sell side, since so much has been on the buy side over the last two months. We'll see if that positioning changes Certainly something to watch. Futures, though, they are down. In the bond market, yields have been ticking back up a bit this week, right now at about 2.92%. In the oil market, crude oil kind of naggingly hanging around that $90 a barrel mark. Gasoline demand remains very strong. And natural gas, by the way, still above $9 a contract. Remember, the longer that stays elevated, the higher your electricity costs may rise. A sizable move in crypto land right now. Bitcoin down about 1500 bucks, But Ether has been shining as of late. Yes, it is down right now about 7%. But it has been a pretty good run for Ether lately, hitting a bottom in mid-June, or we hope a bottom. Bitcoin is up around 20%. But Ether nearly doubling since that time in June. That's a little bit downgraded today, but still been a very nice run. Investors anticipating a major upgrade there to the Ethereum blockchain. That could be giving a lift to Ether. Again, down a little bit right now, but still been a heck of a monthly run. All right, that's what's happening here. Let's get the trade overseas. Some of your key headlines. Jumana Bersetje is in London with that. Good morning, Jumana. Morning, Brian. Well, it is not a pretty day for European bourses. Capping off a week of losses, I should say, for the full stock 600. Now looking like it's going to end the week down about one percentage point. You can see the FTSE 100 in the UK down two tenths of a percentage point, despite better retail sales for the month coming in at 0.3 percent month on month. That's slightly better than market expectations, a fuel adjusted. But the major theme in Europe has been those wholesale PPI numbers coming out from Germany. Uh, shooting to 37% year-on-year, hugely 
surprising to the upside and obviously has huge implications on consumers and industry. One of the reasons why the Zetradax is trading so much lower today, down nine-tenths of a percentage point. Also, peripheries and focus losses are accelerating. The Italian index down 1.4 percentage point. But I want to turn to European yields. The picture is... A quite heavy selling today across the board. You can see the 10-year bond 1.18, up 8 basis points today. The 10-year Italian bond yield up 11 basis points. So the spread between the two is widening. And then also in focus in foreign exchange, I just want to show you very, very quickly, the euro once again is teetering on that parity line. So here we are. We're very close to breaking through it to the downside. This time, analysts say that we actually will have a sustained breakthrough because those numbers in Germany this morning were so worrying, Brian. Yeah, the numbers there just continue to get more and more difficult heading into winter. Storage getting filled, Jumana, but those river levels, very low and concerning for energy re- replenishment. Jumana Brissetti, thank you very much. All right, let us stay overseas and kind of tell on that with a story that we have been reporting on since last fall. As politicians in the U.K. look to take on the skyrocketing energy prices that they are seeing there, Bertha Coombs is back with more on that and some of your morning's other top headlines. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. You know, in Britain and Europe, people take August off, but Britain's Labour Party is seeking to have Parliament recalled to come up with a plan to help households grappling with surging energy prices. Party members writing to outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson and both Tory leadership candidates to order the recall. The move comes ahead of an expected energy price cap rise next Friday. Charities in Britain are warning that millions of people could be forced into poverty if the government does not come up with a new support plan. Ken Griffin's Citadel Securities has reportedly borrowed $600 million in a bid to bolster its balance sheet and trading business. According to the Financial Times, the firm told lenders it plans to use the money in part for additional trading capital. The move comes just days after Citadel reported that it took in a record $4.2 billion in first-half net trading revenue as it capitalized on this year's market volatility. And Home Depot names CEO Ted Decker as the new chair of the board. Decker replaces former CEO Craig Minear, who will retire as the current chair at the end of next month. Home Depot also announcing a new $15 billion share buyback program. Both announcements coming on the heels of the retailer's second quarter results, showing a strong performance even as customers continue to grapple with high inflation. You can see Home Depot shares there up uh, nearly 1%. And Brian, I bet we're going to hear a lot more of these buybacks ahead of the IRA kicking in. Yeah, and that 1% stock buyback tax, but uh, obviously Home Depot not scared off. And Bertha, you know that UK story, we were there last November talking about it. Can you imagine if your power bill, your heating bill doubled? You're already Ugh. struggling to make ends meet, and every, every six months they change those rates. going to be a lot of bad sticker shock there. All right, Bertha, thank you. Yeah, that, that's, All right, meantime, that's a, when they have to come back. Yeah, it's going to be very, very tough for millions of families there. We'll get more on that story, of course, going forward. In the meantime, Federal Reserve officials putting on a rather united front or trying to on tackling inflation. But it is the question over just how fast and high to raise rates that is revealing some fractures within the central bank. Yesterday, St. Louis Fed Chief James Bullard saying, given the strength of the economy, he is currently leaning towards supporting a third straight three quarters of a percent or 75 basis point rate hike in September. 
In meantime, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said hiking rates by a half percent or three quarters of a percent would be, quote, reasonable, but that the exact pace would depend on employment and inflation data between now and then. Comments coming ahead of the Fed's highly anticipated conference in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That occurs next week. Let's talk about the Fed and get some stock picks on what we like to call Opportunity Friday here on Worldwide Exchange. Joining us now is Degas Wright of Decatur Capital, also a CNBC contributor. Uh, good morning. First off, uh, good morning, Degas. H- how closely are you watching or listening to the Fed? I mean, it seems like every day we get a new comment. It, it kind of seems exhausting at times, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, so, uh, Brian, what we're doing is that we're listening to the Fed, but we have to make uh, strategy decisions either way it happens, either it's a soft landing or a hard landing. We have to uh, prepare our clients for a, you know, really put together a portfolio that's going to address either outcome. Yeah, and if they signal that they're going to get more aggressive on raising rates, Does that mean that we should back off our stock ownership because of concerns about a recession? Or does it, to be honest, I mean, does a quarter basis point matter to you and your clients that much? Yeah, you know, at this point, we always say that it's really more time in the market versus timing the market. So we will be, you know, still going through the process of buying stocks that meet our strategy objectives. All right, so let's talk about those because we like to call them Opportunity Fridays here. And I said a quarter basis point. I'm at a quarter percentage point. It's early, Diggis. You'll give me, give me a pass. I'll mulligan on that. Well, Friday mulligan. Uh, let's talk about semiconductors. CLAC, KLA, 10 core, KLAC. What do you like about this company? What we like about it is that it focuses on one major step in the manufacturing of semiconductors inspection and metrology, which means that it identifies defects during the manufacturing process. Now, the reason why this company will do well in either a soft or hard landing is that it has positive gross profits and growing gross profits and also growing earnings. Ultimately, their um, gross profit is about 59% if we look back in 2020. If you come forward to 2022, it's actually increased 200, uh, 2% up to 61% gross profit. It also has a forecasted earnings growth of 16%. All right. And UNH, United Health, what about this name is attractive to you? Well, healthcare does really well in a recessionary environment because ultimately United Health will continue to collect premiums and it actually has a growing medical technology aspect. Their gross profit is 23%, but it's growing. Uh, it was 23% in 2020. In 2022, it's grown to about 24%. Plus, it has a forward earnings uh, growth of about 18% for next year. So United Health, we've got KLA 10Core, and very quickly, CubeSmart. Cube is the ticker. This is a new name Cube's for part. me. Cube. Who are they? Why do you like them? Well, we like CoopSpark because you have to look at the business model. It has over 1,200 storage facilities with over 700,000 customers. 
It doesn't have inventory, has limited staff. It doesn't have credit issues with its customers because it requires prepayment. The gross profit is 66% in 2020. It has grown to 67% as gross profit. Also, it has positive earnings growth of about 6% with a 3.4% dividend yield. CubeSmart, United Health, and KLA 10 Core. We nailed it. Three out of three on an opportunity Friday here. Dig us right. Really appreciate it, my friend. Have a great day. Thanks for getting up early. Take care. All right, we have got a lot more to do here on Worldwide Exchange. When we come back, some of your big money movers, including, oh my gosh, look at that, Bed Bath & Beyond. The stock is down 40% right now. Ryan Cohen, formerly bowing out of the retailer. We'll get more on that. Plus, storm prediction, going high tech. Diana Olick looking at how some communities are looking to get ahead of hurricanes and other high-power storms to mitigate more extreme damage. And Rivian feeling the wrath of some customers after apparently pulling the plug on one of its more popular models. A very busy hour still ahead. Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers on this Friday. Three key stock stories that are happening right now. Stock number one is Applied Materials. Third quarter results beating forecasts thanks to a bunch of new orders. AMAT also giving an upbeat outlook for sales this quarter. The company did say it is trying to reduce costs and will slow hiring in the near term. AMAT shares are mildly higher. Stock number two is Madison Square Garden Entertainment, MSGE. It is considering a spinoff of its live entertainment and MSG Networks business from its Las Vegas sphere and hospitality operations. MSG Entertainment runs live events at the Garden, of course, Radio City Music Hall, and the Beacon Theater in New York. Its stock rose nearly 2% on Thursday. And stock three is the stock of the week, and that is Bed Bath & Beyond. Shares getting crushed right now, down 40%. Investor Ryan Cohen confirming he sold his entire stake in the retailer this week for a profit of about $58 million. Cohen is the founder of Chewy and also chairman of GameStop and sold call options for nearly $100,000. Do keep in mind, although BBBY shares are tumbling today, they've still more than doubled coming into today this month. Quite a roller coaster ride for that little New Jersey-based retailer. Wow. All right, still on deck giving a big boost to American chip companies. The CEO of one domestic semiconductor company is here to break down what the new legislation out of D.C. will mean for his company's ability to compete on the global stage. We're back after this. I welcome back. Nearly one year ago, the remnants of Hurricane Ida rolled up on the East Coast. It caused catastrophic flooding across parts of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. It was largely unexpected because general forecasts did not show how much rain would fall and how fast that rain would fall. But maybe no more. Diana Ulick looks at how major companies and local governments are now using unique new weather prediction technology to safeguard their assets. It is all part of our continuing series of the rising risks from climate change. When Tropical Storm Ida blew into New Jersey almost a year ago, the state was woefully unprepared. After all, it wasn't a hurricane, but the deluge was incredible. It rained four inches in one hour during Hurricane Ida, and we had a total of six and a half inches of rain uh, in one storm event. 
The city of Hoboken, just across the Hudson River from Manhattan, is only two square miles, but home to more than 62,000 people. It is increasingly prone to flooding, so the city had been putting protections in already. This looks like a pretty garden, but it's actually just a big drain. Yeah. This park sits atop a massive cistern that can hold 200,000 gallons of water and is managed remotely, so water can be held or released when necessary. But to optimize the system, they need to know what's coming. So just after Ida, they started working with Tomorrow.io, a unique weather technology company that goes well beyond just forecasting when it's going to rain. So everything is fully proprietary. We tell organizations, cities, governments, enterprise businesses how the weather is going to impact their operations in advance so that they can actually make changes before it's too late. Hoboken will ultimately have five resilience parks like this one, managing more than two million gallons of water on a daily basis. But what this new technology allows it to do is move from water management to emergency management. They're able to provide insights on when a storm event's going to occur, uh, at what intensity, for how long, and they can do really block-by-block -block forecasts. The firm works with clients well before they start forecasting the weather to show them specifically how future weather will impact them, from operations to supply chains to staffing. Having such precise data of when, where, and how severe weather will strike a region can ultimately save companies hundreds of thousands of dollars in resources and waste. Some clients include the U.S. Air Force, the NFL, Raytheon, Uber, Ford, Delta, and JetBlue. We'll take an airline's operating protocol, specifically upload it into our system, and then we have our own proprietary insights dashboard that tells them exactly when it's going to happen. So we'll tell an airline over the course of the week, these flights are going to be at risk of weather, and if you need to de-ice your planes, this is the time to do it to avoid delays or any safety impacts. Climate security is also fast becoming part of global security, as cities, governments, and businesses start to build climate adaptation systems. Climate security is the new cybersecurity. That's why Tomorrow.io is sending its own satellites into space, which will send back data far more frequently than government weather satellites. That's going to completely revolutionize weather forecasts for the entire planet. Tomorrow.io is not the only company in this space. There's also Dark Sky, which was recently bought by Apple. But these new companies are nothing like the legacy names. This is weather intelligence, modeling, planning, and, of course, prediction, all of which takes place before a drop of rain ever falls. Brian. All right, Dana. So we talk a lot about how companies have to disclose their potential risk from climate in their disclosures going forward. How could predictions and technology like this sort of factor into that risk, help them plan, help them predict? Well, Brian, it's going to mitigate that risk because if they can show that they're prepared when they don't even know when a certain storm is coming a year from now, they could say if we have this kind of rain event, snow event, heat event, fire event even – then and they're already set up with these prediction models, then they can say, look, our risk is going to be less than it might have been if we were going into this all in the dark. So it's really a way of setting up these companies. And these CEOs are talking to weather companies a lot now because, as you know, of course, from climate change, we're seeing much more severe weather, not just hurricanes, but these deluges that come upon us without a lot of people knowing. So with this kind of technology, they can then lessen that risk and report that.
Yeah, I remember that storm. We had about a foot of water in our basement, Diane, and I, and I went and we showed this on TV, a pickup truck where a guy got caught in a flash flood and rode a river two miles in his truck in New Jersey, slammed up against the bridge, thankfully was able to climb out. We actually showed that on CNBC. I mean, that was that storm was something the prediction technology needs to get better. Hopefully it will. Yeah, absolutely. And they're just getting more and more common. And that's why you're seeing more of this technology once again, moving in where it needs to. But, you know, again, as we see more of these storms, there's so much risk to these corporations, cities, and of course, to lives. Diana Olick, thank you very much, Diana. We'll see you all day on CNBC. Take care. All right, still to come on this Friday, Worldwide Exchange, more C-suite shuffles at Starbucks. The executive set to exit the coffee giant as it continues its management shakeup. And a reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. It's available on all the major platforms. Dow Futures, down about 100, and we're back right after this. Stocks weekly win streak, looking at risk. Markets keep grinding to what the little gains they've accumulated. Futures, though, they are pointed down. That four-week win streak may come to an end. Rivian getting tough, pulling the plug on its entry-level truck and telling customers they're going to need to pay up to get into one of their EVs. And your exclusive weekly look at the biggest buys by company insiders. And this week, three of the five have one big thing in common. What is it? I will show you. All happening on this Friday, August 19th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. And good Friday morning. Thanks for joining us to wrap up your week. Let's talk about it and get into these markets. Right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. And they're not looking so hot. We are seeing Dow futures down about 180. It's actually the biggest drop that we have seen so far this week. Dow futures down, or NASDAQ futures rather, down even more, about six tenths of 1%. Now, coming into today, it's been a good run. In fact, we've got a four-week win streak going for the S&P 500. Now, as of right now, the S&P 500 is up 0.08% for the week. That's it, 0.08. So even just a slight drop is going to end that win streak. And do keep in mind, we talked about it yesterday. It could be more volatile today. It looks like it will be because today is the monthly expiration of more than a trillion dollars in value for a variety of options. So we could see added volatility either way. Of course, obviously the bulls for stocks, they've been in charge the last two months. But a lot of that positioning may flip heading into fall. We'll see. And let's see if options bring a change to that. Looks like it could be right now. But this options expiration day is a big deal. All right, more on the markets and your money coming up in a bit. Right now, let's talk about something you're probably drinking right now, and that is coffee because, and Starbucks, because there are more management shakeups at the coffee giant. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more on Rivian as well. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Starbucks chief operating officer John Culver is departing the coffee giant. Culver, who has been with the company for uh, two decades now, will step down from his current role in early October and become an executive advisor until he leaves the company at the end of the year. Culver's departure comes as part of a restructuring that will eliminate his role and is the latest in a series of executive reshuffles at Starbucks. Keurig Dr. Pepper is reportedly in talks to buy the maker of Bang Energy Drinks. That, according to Bloomberg, the deal price for Vital Pharmaceuticals or VPX, that is 
as it is also known, has not been finalized. The report adds that insiders say VPX could be valued between two and three billion dollars. The potential deal would mark the latest in a series of acquisitions by larger beverage makers investing in or buying up smaller brands. And Rivian feeling the wrath of some of its customers after pulling the plug on one version of its pickup truck. The EV maker is eliminating the least expensive trim of its R1T pickup truck, according to a letter cited on Rivian on a Rivian owners forum. The letter says demand for the Explore model, which goes for more than $67,000, was less than expected. The letter goes on to say that eliminating that model will help Rivian and streamline its supply chain and ultimately deliver vehicles quicker. But Brian, customers are going to have to pay up. So they'll have until September 1st to decide whether to upgrade to the Adventure Trim package, which comes in at $73,000 or cancel their orders altogether. I'd imagine if there's some lawyers in there, they are looking at that contract that they signed for orders. But I'm sure the company gives themselves that kind of up. And if, you know, you're expecting to be able to use your your IRA, um, you know, benefit, that's going to eat it all up. Yeah, they, they recently sent out a letter to potential buyers saying you need to lock in that contract now in order to lock in that $7,500 tax credit because a lot of the cars are going to be over $80,000. They just had all those price increases last year and I think earlier this year. Mary Barra told me, Bertha Coombs, on a panel at the Milken Conference, she said, listen, no knock to anybody. It's easy to design and sell cars. It's hard to make them. Yeah. And I think some of these startup companies are figuring that out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bertha Coombs, and, thank you very and much. And their customers. We'll see if these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see how much they can deal with. All right, Bertha, thank you. All right, let us talk now about semiconductors and American competitiveness in that industry. Because semiconductors are quickly becoming an issue of national security. And Washington just passed the CHIPS Act to try to bring more semiconductor industry back to the United States from China and Taiwan. Let's talk more about this with Gene Sheridan, co-founder and CEO of Navitas. It is a gallium nitride semiconductor company, kind of a unique space there. Gene, uh, I'm not going to get into my periodic tables because I'd get probably a, a D minus, if not an F in that. But tell us quickly about your specific segment of the semiconductor industry, why it's important, and what this CHIPS Act may do for you. Yeah, great question. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Navitas makes gallium nitride chips. For the last 30 years, the world used silicon chips to make power and manage electricity. We're now using gallium nitride, which makes electricity cleaner, more reliable, and lower cost. And when the whole world is operating off of fossil fuels, we need to move to electricity to, to convert from carbon uh, and decarbonize the world. Our, our GAN chips make that electricity transition a lot more attractive and accelerated. So what would be like an end use for what, what you guys help make, Gene? A great example is we charge batteries faster and efficiently with smaller size power supplies to do it. So we can charge anything from your smartphone, your tablet, or your laptop, up to three times faster and more efficiently. But we can charge electric vehicles uh, and every other power application. We even charge and power data centers. So these GAN chips are really powering the entire modern world of electronics. So what does the CHIPS Act mean for you? Because to be fair, I, I did speak with the CEO of a privately held company. It's sort of on the margin of the semiconductor business. They make like 
thermostats and things like this for, for semiconductor manufacturing machines. And he said, listen, it's great, uh, but we thought some of the investment was going to come regardless. Why do we need the, the government to step in with this money? Well, the dominant part, part of our semiconductor manufacturing, including all of the manufacturing we use today, is in Asia. But the great thing about gallium nitride chips is you can actually build them in old silicon factories with a relatively modest investment to build significant capacity. In the United States, there's over 45 older silicon fabs that probably don't have a great future. With the CHIPS Act, we can upgrade them to gallium nitride and a newer technology we've just purchased called silicon carbide. Together, these two two technologies need significant capacity if we're going to make this transition from fossil fuels to electricity. I I love the idea of making this stuff here. A lot of it is highly critical, mission-critical type stuff. We know the tension between Taiwan and China, what's happening there. We know the supply chain lockdowns in China. We need that here. But can we find the people? I mean, if you build it, will they come? Well, I tell you, having grown up in the Silicon Valley area and in, and in what we call Gan Beach in Southern California, there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of hunger to not only innovate them, not only sell them, but build them, as you said on your earlier segment. So I think there's plenty of talent to tap into to make this manufacturing and bring semiconductor manufacturing back on shore. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You build a factory, you build a fab, you need, you need to find the people. Do you feel like right now, Gene, even with the CHIPS Act, that America, and I hope you say yes, because I'm a California kid too, but can America truly be competitive at this, or will China and Taiwan always have us because their labor costs in China, unfortunately, sometimes it's semi or forced labor, will they always have the upper hand? Well, you know, semiconductors, there's a lot of automation. You keep building automation. So the labor content is relatively modest. I think it's more about control. It's about technical skill. And yes, there's an important labor content. But I think if you run the numbers, the labor content's relatively small. I don't think that's going to be a problem with our cost competitiveness. Gene Sheridan, Navitas Semiconductor there. Uh, Some positive things. Let's hope they play out. We hope they do for, for the country, for your company, for the entire industry. Gene Sheridan, thanks for getting up early. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right, very welcome. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, it is your exclusive weekly look at the biggest stock buys by company insiders. And this week, it's kind of cool because there is one common thread among three of the top five companies. We'll show them to you coming up. And as we head to break, more of this morning's top headlines happening now. Europe's regulators reportedly facing internal concerns surrounding landmark legislation designed to take on big tech. According to the Financial Times, EU members are growing increasingly worried over how the new rules will be enforced when they take hold next year, including big tech groups seeking to undermine them through legal action. Fisker looking at potential expansion amid growing demand. EV makers saying it may move beyond its current 50,000 vehicles per year threshold as its autos sell out in the U.S. And it may even explore making cars in America. Novel concept. And Elon Musk reportedly going after documents from some leading advertising tech companies. It is all part of his bid to boost his effort to kill his $44 billion takeover bid for Twitter. According to Reuters, Musk lawyers have subpoenaed a couple of companies for documents that show how those companies have been involved in reviewing accounts 
and any roles they have in auditing Twitter's user base numbers. Dow futures down 180, big options expiration day today, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment where we highlight the top five stocks being bought the most by their C-suite level execs with their own money. The info, as always, comes with our thanks to Verity Platforms. And as always, we are counting you down five to one. And this week, there are some really interesting names, not huge, well-known stocks, but some smaller caps and maybe some new names to you. Let's go. All right, stock number five, Trinseo. A board member buying 317000 worth of Pennsylvania-based chemicals and fiber company. Shares down 40%, so the exact buying on some weakness. Stock number four is Hub Group. $428,000 buy by a new board member, but it is the first overall insider buy at Hub Group in six years. Hub is a trucking and logistics company. The third most insider buying this week is at Huntsman. A 751000 combined insider buy by two different insiders. This is another chemical company, kind of like a Trincio. Not really, but they're both kind of in that chemical space. Now for the top two buys of the week. Stock number two, Mativ Holdings. And yes, yet sort of another chemical or chemical and manufacturer-related company. And also another combined buy. And the new CEO and two board members combining for buys worth $850,000. But the company with the most insider buying this week, that is Cassava Sciences. A longtime board member making a big buy at just over $2 million. Now, it did get some attention earlier in the week. Cassava is a Texas-based biotech whose shares are down 75% in the past year. So the CEO and board member is going long on his own beaten-up stock, Cassava Certainly one to watch. So there you go. The top five insider buys, Trinzio, Hub Group, Huntsman, Mativ, and Cassava Sciences. So the trend, three sort of chemical or chemical-related companies all in one week, and one trucking company, kind of that manufacturing side of the economy. Pretty interesting trend to watch there. A reminder, we try to do this almost every Friday, except during earnings season when you have blackout days. It's a segment you will only see here on Worldwide Exchange or, by the way, on CNBC Pro. And just a reminder, sign up today. Now let's talk about buying of a different kind, buying gasoline, because there's some bad news and some good news here. All right, first off, always give the bad news first. Gasoline is still about 70 cents a gallon higher than it was at this time last year. Okay, but the good news is that it has come down a lot in the past couple of months. Now, even the price of diesel fuel is below 5 bucks a gallon nationwide. Diesel is hugely important to the economy. It is a big input cost that goes into probably nearly everything you buy. So let's talk more about what is going on with oil and gas with Suzanne Danforth, Downstream Oil and Gas Director for the Americas at Wood Mackenzie. Suzanne, I hate to throw the bad news in there, you know, that we're up year over year. Rather focus on the good news that we're down the last couple of months, but that's all in the past. Based on the data you've got, what do you see happening in the months ahead? So basically, we have a situation in the U.S. right now where inflation is still holding, even though we have fuel prices down significantly. So everything from food to vehicles to housing is is up. So we're already seeing, even with this price fall in gasoline at the pump, consumers are coming back on the road, but not quite at the levels that we saw in 2019 or or 2018 and maybe even 
below where we saw in 2021. So we're still trending a little bit lower, but we've definitely improved in terms of demand um, looking forward. Now, when you look at the next few months of the year, it's the fall and winter season. We typically have a decline in gasoline as folks are demand that is as folks are generally, you know, going back to school and and, and driving less. Um, So we're going to see gasoline demand continue to decline. But in general, the supply situation we're in right now for gasoline is much better than where we were back in June. Um, we're going to return to five-year average inventories probably by October, in, in our view, is, is what we see. And a return to high gasoline prices like what we saw in, in June is not likely to happen. All right. Here's where I'd push back just a bit, Suzanne, because I get all the historical data about the fall versus the summer. But... This fall, particularly after Labor Day, there are maybe millions of people that are being ordered back to the office in the New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, California areas. They've been pretty much working from home or hybrid. A lot of companies like Apple and others on the East Coast are saying, hey, back to the office, you know, three days a week, four or five days a week. I wonder how much the historical data is going to matter, given that we have never been in this situation before. Well, when you look back at gasoline demand, let's say in 2019 or, or 2018, um, you know, fall gasoline demand is about five to 600,000 barrels a day below what we have in the summer because of a lot of that driving you see in the summer is supported by folks getting out on the roads and, 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 and taking road trips. So generally, in our view, what we expect to see is gasoline demand levels that have generally been below even 2021 levels throughout this summer, coming back on a year-on-year basis to where we're on par or maybe slightly above 2021 levels, but nothing like what we saw years ago. Because again, that discretionary driving, folks are pulling back on that because of the overall cost of living and the fact that wages haven't really kept up. So That's our view for the rest of the year. We hope to see in 2023 with a lower gas price environment, a bit more of a return to gasoline demand looking like the five-year average, especially with those factors that you mentioned. So, yeah, you're right, Alyssa. Electricity prices are going to soar this winter. Heating oil prices, health care costs, we talked about it, may go up 20% for some people in the Northeast. It's going to be brutal on the inflation side. It sounds like what you're saying, Suzanne, is that gasoline prices could remain stable or maybe even go down a little bit more from here? Yeah, typically in the fall and winter months, what we see is because of the seasonal specification changes, summer gasoline is more costly to make. So generally prices rise in the summer. And of course you have that demand supportive boost that helps that. So as we move into the fall and the winter, not only do you have a better inventory situation because with refining margins been as fantastic as they are, refineries are have responded um, with very high utilization levels. You have inventories recovering. You have also that that benefit of easier specifications to meet for gasoline blenders from sort of a, a cost of blending perspective. So overall, we do expect yeah, to see and, a bit more stability. Yeah. And, and we have been very blessed, and I don't want to jinx it, uh, it's my, my RBI coming up on Monday, Suzanne, is about the lack of storms this year. So I don't want to say anything because it's been a very quiet hurricane season. Let's hope it continues. I don't want to say it. Suzanne fingers Danforth, Wood McKenzie, appreciate it. Yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. It's been a very calm year. Thank you. Have a great day and a good weekend. That's coming up, by the way. It's a, it's a preview of the RBI on Monday, but I don't want to give too much away and I don't want to jinx it. All right, on deck. The market's recent rally continuing to lose a little steam this week. Our friend Victoria Fernandez will lay out 
where she is putting her money amid some of this choppiness that we're seeing right now. Dow futures down 172. And by the way, be sure to tune in tonight for a CNBC special look at the consumer. Courtney Reagan is diving into the fight among retailers for your money. It's the battle for the consumer, 6 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss that. And Courtney, tonight, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Here's what investors are watching or should be watching as we close out the week. A Fed speech from Richmond President Tom Barkin at 9 a.m. Eastern, as well as a hearing in the Celsius bankruptcy case. We'll also get earnings from Buckle, John Deere, and Foot Locker. All right, questions swirling around the market's recent rally. We're up four weeks in a row coming into today and whether this is truly sustainable. Feels good while you're in it, right? Your next guest says that amid the choppiness, now is the time to focus on quality. Speaking of quality, Victoria Fernandez, the chief market strategist at Crossmark Global Advisors. Enjoy. You like that intro, Victoria? Speaking I of do. quality. Thank you. That's the best intro I've got. Well, if you're Thanks getting up, I know you're in, you're in Texas. You're getting up really early, and we appreciate it. Listen, I'm not going to take away from the market rally. It's been a feel-good two months. We're up four weeks in a row, but you got about $2 trillion in value of options expiring today. Futures are down. What can we expect from the fall? I can't imagine it's going to be this smooth for the next four months. No, it's not. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we said our theme for the entire year was going to be this tug of war uh, between tailwinds and headwinds and lots of volatility. I think the second half of this year is going to bring the exact same thing. I mean, you've got this support in the market a little bit. Over the last week, obviously, we had some buybacks going on. We had the CPI report that people kind of thought was going to be a a pivot for the Fed. I'm kind of the party pooper in that situation. I don't believe that at all. I don't think we're going to see a Fed pivot. But yet you've got rising interest rates. You've got fears of recession, especially in Europe. Um, You've got earnings valuations starting to come down for the second half of the year. So we have this summer rally, and that's great. I just don't think it is going to be sustainable. I think we can expect continued volatility going forward. Yeah, and again, I don't want to take anything away from our excellent coverage of the Fed, and the Fed matters a lot. But I am a little confused about sort of, this market obsession about whether or not they raise 50 or 75 at the next meeting or two, does a, does a one quarter of 1% more or less matter to your clients that much? If it does, please tell me, Sullivan, you're wrong. But 25 basis points, does that, we know they're raising. Whether it's by X or by X minus Y or whatever, I'm not sure matters. No, you're exactly right. It doesn't matter at all. And so this debate really should be more along, where do we see the terminal rate? You have Bullard saying it should be, what, 375, 4%. Um, You have some other members that are getting a little more hawkish on where that terminal rate needs to be. So let's look out a little bit. Let's look at euro dollar futures for March of 23. Those are up 50 basis points in the last few weeks. You've got the two-year after CPI came down to a 307, it's back up to three and a quarter. We've got the 10-year going. Look at German yields today. They're higher. So I think, yes, the trend is higher, whether it's 50 or 75 is not important. We know they're not going to take their foot off the gas at this point in time. Yeah, inflation, food prices, by the way, back on the rise, electricity costs on the rise, health care. I know you got a daughter in college. I'm not going to tell you about those bills. All right, you talked about quality. Well, quality is in the eye of the stockholder, Victoria Fernandez. So where do you guys at Crossmark see quality? I'm doing air quotes right now. 
So quality for us really comes down to the balance sheet. We want to see quality of earnings. We want to see quality of cash flow. We want to see quality of the management of the corporation. So when we look at those, it doesn't mean that you're looking at a certain sector. It just means within each sector, where are you finding the quality? So for us, um, we own Coca-Cola. We like the staple sector. That's a quality name there. We like insurance um, and healthcare. So like Cigna is a name we like. And you know we've liked financials all year long. We continue to. And when you focus on quality there, you're looking at a name like Visa. So I think it, we're not saying go all in on growth or value or be all risk on or risk off. We're saying find those pockets where you like to be in the market and then focus on the quality of the companies within. It's really a stock pickers market at this point. Yeah, we're showing a few names up there like a Visa. We'll leave it there. V for Visa and Victoria Fernandez with our thanks. Victoria, do appreciate you getting up early out there in Texas. Take care. Thank you very much. See, everybody, everybody gets up early or stays up late. For worldwide exchange and that includes us and our team and a big thanks to all of them for doing what they do every single day well that does it for us here on worldwide exchange we will see you on monday morning squawk and the gang are next have a fantastic weekend everybody be well see you in two days you've been listening to cnbc's worldwide exchange you can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m eastern only on cnbc